I must say, it's uh, great to have so much music to uh, give us a sense of celebration. And I want to thank those of you who have been a part of our music today. It's just a delight to uh, have such participation. And uh, it, it helps those of us who find music to be a great way to express our praise, uh, that which uh, lifts our hearts. And uh, we thank you again uh, for that opportunity. Uh, it's a real delight again to introduce to you uh, someone that most of us or many of us who have been here for any length of time uh, certainly have heard his name often as we've prayed for Tom and Lorna Simcox. Uh, Tom is with us today. Um, Tom has served for probably over 20 years uh, with Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. He is the New England area director. He is a very, very busy uh, man. He has uh, a tremendous load of responsibilities. He was reminding us downstairs that he, along with speaking a number of places and training people, he teaches at Word of Life um, in Florida and upstate uh, New York. Uh, he's involved in the Institute of Jewish Studies, which is an uh, online uh, opportunity. If you ever want to get more involved there, you could certainly log on and check that out. Um, he is uh, joyfully married to his wonderful wife, Lorna. They, uh, Lorna is the, the uh, editor of a publication called Israel My Glory. We have some free copies available to you uh, always in our uh, literature display, but particularly on a back table here, he has some free copies you like to take one with you, get an idea of what she's involved in. He'll write articles for this magazine as well. Um, they also are copies of there if you were at the Passover celebration. Uh, we have some copies of the Haggadah. You can take those also for $5 donation. Uh, I want to just also bring to your attention from our book table. I've brought a couple of items that we have there normally. This is called The Search, a book that is really the story of Lorna Simcox, her own story she's written. A very easily read book, a very wonderful testimony to hear how God has taken this Jewish woman and helped her see through all of the obstacles that through a Jewish way of thinking that Jesus was just, uh, you just don't go there. Well, it talked about how the Lord helped her to see the real truth of who Jesus the Messiah is. A very helpful book for you to read first and then to give if the Lord leads you to, the, to a Jewish person to be a great way of helping them understand how God does change people's lives. There's also is a booklet, I think you folks are the ones that still carry this, you can't get anywhere else, by David Levy called What Every Jewish Person um, Should Ask. What Every Jewish Person Should Ask. Those are available on the back table as well. Also, The Prophets Still Speak, Messiah in Both Testaments. Another book you might be interested in reading about, offering somebody you might know uh, at some later point. Well, enough with my hawking of books, but uh, I think that it's a wonderful thing to have those resources available uh, they really do change lives if the Lord puts it in the lives of, in the hands of people who really will read them. Uh, Tom also is a father of two daughters, both married, one of whom has, and we won't give you more than two minutes, Tom, talk about your grandchild. So he does have a new grandchild, and we're thankful that God has seen him through a period of suffering, and he was sharing downstairs how God is faithful, and we're thankful to have him with us today. Tom, God bless you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Uh, I told everybody in Sunday school just what a privilege, and it really is to be, to be back here. I just want you to know how beautiful you look. As I stand behind the, the pulpit, there was a time when, as you saw in Sunday school, I didn't know whether I'd ever be able to do that again. And the Lord giving that opportunity and that blessing and to be able to be back, and Fred will understand, but seeing him yesterday, I thought I was going to lose it because... My first contact with New Village was Fred, and I've known him forever. 
It's like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and, and Tom and Fred met, and that was pretty much it. And uh, just seeing him, it was just such a joy. And I want to thank you for my family, for your prayers. It was, it was not easy, but God was good. And um, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God's people. I mean that. I've got to do something funny or I'm going to lose it. Um, I do, uh, I, I really appreciate the music. Uh, whoever, oh, it was wonderful. But I have to confess I sinned. I coveted. All my life I've wanted to play bells. <laughs> and in every place I went, it was always the ladies. You had men. I'm ready to, to come and join the, I, I want to play, I've wanted to do that my entire life. I mean, I play a guitar, I love guitar, but I think the bells are one of the most beautiful sounding, and I've always, I want to see how they work, you got to show me, I've wanted to be this close to them all my life, and I've never gotten this close, so forgive me for my coveting, but um, guys, gals, it was really, it was wonderful, everything. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew in chapter 21. As I'm hoping that, that you're sensing, today is really something very special in, in the church calendar, in the economy of God. It's, I mean, every Sunday is special, but this is really a little extra special. As beginning today and really working through this week, we're going to be focusing in on that last week of, of Jesus' life and, and ministry as he was here physically on the earth. I mean, obviously his ministry continues. He's seated at the right hand of God and he's our intercessor, but he was physically here on earth. God became man. We celebrated that at Christmas and, and, and he dwelt among us and, and Jesus ministered for, for, for a number of years. And then as we come to today, we're gonna see the events that kind of take place in that last week of Jesus' life and ministry here on the earth. And today I think is really, really a, a, a very special part of that. In some ways, I would not place it on the par of the resurrection, but, but fairly close, because what was happening was very key. What was, what was happening, it wasn't just that Jesus came into Jerusalem and, and they took palm branches and he rode on a donkey, and you know, there, th this was orchestrated. I, I'm not a music major, I used to be. But if, if you were to take a music score and you were to kind of you know, have a theme and kind of build. As you come to this point in, in, in the narrative, you would begin to build towards your completion, which is going to be the cross and towards the, the resurrection. But the crescendo is going to begin to build at this point because this was key. As we have the, the text, let's take a look here, beginning in verse 1, we see the arrival of the king. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, verse 2, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. Now, they're coming into Jerusalem. Jesus is, has been uh, in Bethpage. He's been in Bethany. He's, he's been, been involved in the resurrection of Lazarus and whatnot. And he's going to begin to now get ready for that last Passover. As we saw last night, the last supper that he, he celebrated with his disciples was a Jewish Passover. He said, I've longed and earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Well, 
before he could celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem, he needed to come into that city. And he and the disciples had kind of been avoiding there because the religious leaders were after him. They were looking for him. They were trying to trap him. Well, at this point, as he's going to say in John's Gospel, the hour has now come. The whole purpose for his ministry, as I said, it's building. It's been culminating towards this event. He is now going to come into Jerusalem. He has been preaching. John had been preaching before them. John the, the Baptist. Uh, the disciples were preaching. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And John's going to say, lower the mountains. Exalt the valleys. Make a straight road because the king's coming. Well, this preaching's been going on. At some point, you want to get to the point to see whether or not the message is being acted on. Were the people actually responding to the message? And so he's going to come to Jerusalem. He's going to go to the temple, to the spiritual center of worship, to see if there's any repentance, to see if anybody's ready for their king. You see, part of what's happening here is he's offering them the kingdom. Jesus is saying, if you repent, the king will come and the kingdom will come. Now, I don't want to belabor that because it didn't happen because the people weren't ready. But he was legitimately offering them the kingdom. And they weren't ready. He said to his disciples, I want you to go into the village. You're going to find a, a donkey. You're going to find a colt. I want you to loose them. He says, if somebody, literally, he knew somebody was going to. Jesus is God. He knew all this before the foundation of the world. In fact, as this is unfolding, it's like Jesus wrote the script. He, he wrote the score. He, he put the whole thing down. He wasn't shocked or amazed by anything. He said, basically, he could have said, when someone asks you, this is what you tell them. And sure enough, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, we just read this, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming unto you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, kind of parallels, I was thinking about that. It says, behold, your king cometh. You know what? All the way back in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, when Jesus was born, the Magi came, and they stood before Herod, who thought he was the king, and they said, where is he that's born king? For we've seen his star in the east, we've come to worship. You see, Jesus was born king. He wasn't the, the heir to the throne. He wasn't a prince. You know, we don't have that kind of a situation here with royalty, but I think a lot of people followed what happened last year with the royal wedding. We here in America, we just love the royals. We like to follow them. I remember when Diana got married, and it was like everybody in America watched it, and now we have, you know, the, the, this, recent, this recent round with, with the prince and, and you know, uh, his, his wedding. And I know my family was really into it. They were all excited, got up early to watch the whole thing. It's interesting that, that, that Charles is the heir to the throne. Now, it's kind of funny, and, and you know, when they, when they sing, uh, you know, about the queen, Oh, queen, live forever. She seems to. Do you realize she's like, you know, been queen? Do you realize how many presidents we've been through? Presidents they were, gone they are. She's still here. Okay? I mean, at this point, I begin to wonder, am I ever going to get to sit on the throne? He's born heir. He's got the right to sit on the throne. But he could die before her and never become king. He's born with the right, but he wasn't born king. Jesus, when he was born, the Magi said, where is he that's born king? Where's the one who has the right to sit on the throne of David? And here, this scripture is coming from Zechariah. I love the King James on this. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. And, and the king is coming and he's fulfilling that prophecy. It's interesting because that was really significant when he said, you know, go and, and do this. And, and knowing Zechariah, 
this event was foreordained that it had to happen. Now we're going to continue. Verse 6, so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey, verse 7, and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their garments on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed were saying exactly as we've sung today, Hosanna, save, save now to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Last night, we, when we did the Seder, we quoted these very verses. They're from Psalm 118, part of the Hillel that the Jewish people use when they do the Seder. And, and they, were, they were quoting it accurately. They're saying, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes. The king is coming. And, and he's coming into the city. You know, kings usually come on white chargers. Kings come in in conquering mode. Jesus came in meek and lowly and riding on a donkey. He didn't come like any other king. You know what? That's the way he is in our lives today. You know, he's, he's our king. He's our Lord. But he doesn't usurp that authority. God doesn't come in and, and, you know, we're having an uprising and I'm in charge here, see, and I'm taking over. You know, one of the things we have to learn is to allow Jesus to be Lord in our lives. He is, he's my God. He's my Savior. But, you know, I have to allow him to be in control. And there's times when my wife will point out to me that, that you know, I'm really not in the spirit. You know how it goes, wives, when you, when you do that and your husband's, you know, and, and she would look at me and say, and you know I'm right, too. You know, I, I know. I have to pray to be in the Spirit. I have to submit myself to the Lord. He doesn't take over and go and hold my life hostage. He'll let me run around and do whatever. It's going to make a mess, and I'd be better off if he were in charge. But he allows that. You see, he's still that same way. He comes. He's, he's the king. Remember the picture in Revelation. He's knocking on the door. He could bust the door down and say, I'm coming in and taking over. No, he's saying, will you let me in? Will you let me be the Lord of your life? He's doing the same thing to Jerusalem, to Israel. He's saying, look, I'm coming. I'm your king. I'm the one you've been looking for. But, but I'm not coming like a military conqueror. I'm not coming on a white horse. Do you realize how many conquerors have come into Jerusalem? I mean, that city's been conquered so many times. I mean, Napoleon was involved there. And we go all the way back to the Romans and, and, and Joshua. And I think almost every major power in the world at some point or other has had impact over Jerusalem. Jesus is the rightful heir. Jesus is the one to whom the city belongs. And Jesus comes meek and lowly and riding on a donkey. I think that's amazing. Secondly, as we go on here, we see that, that this is part of the plan of Jesus. God had foreordained that this was going to happen. You know, when, when Jesus was born in the manger of Bethlehem, I don't know whether you've ever looked at this, but Joseph and Mary were both told something about him, but they were told different items. Joseph was told to name him Jesus, and he was told that he would save his people from their sins. Remember that in Matthew's gospel? Mary was told that he would be called the son of the highest, that he would sit on the throne of his father David, and of the increase of his government, there'd be no end. You see, Joseph was told about the first advent that he didn't live to see. Mary was told about the second advent that she didn't live to see. She lived to see his crucifixion. She lived to see him hang on the cross. Joseph didn't. But both aspects are true because all the way back in Genesis, God had planned that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And this whole thing was orchestrated and set up. When, when he said here that, that he was fulfilling this prophet, you realize we could go to, to Luke's gospel, and Luke's gospel says this, the people were saying, Hosanna, the religious leaders came to him in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 40, and, and they say to him, do you hear what they're saying? 
because they were saying he was the Messiah. And Jesus said, yep. And he said, you know what? If these didn't cry out, the very rocks of the ground would. You see, what was happening here, my friends? Very important. The creator was coming to his creation. The king was coming home. And, and he foreordained it. He said to them, you should have known the hour of your visitation. You should have known I was coming. It's right here in the book. I recorded it. And I told you when I was coming. That's why he said, look, if the people didn't cry out, the very rocks would. You see, if the people missed it, he's saying the dirt, the rocks, the trees, they know me. Why? Because I'm the king. I'm their creator. I'm their maker. John will embellish that a little bit by saying he came to his own and his own received him not. They didn't know him. They weren't ready for him. As I shared, Jesus had been preaching. Jesus had been doing miracles. Now, I don't know whether you've ever thought about it. I mean, we, we read the Gospels and we look at the miracles. But really, Jesus had a specific goal in mind. Jesus came to what? Deal with sin. Now, he did all the miracles. Uh, I love the one, one of my favorites of the miracles he did. Remember, he was preaching in the room, and, and there was no way that anybody could get in, so these men went up on the roof. Remember that? And they began to pull the roof apart, and, and they pull the roof. And I mean, I, I see this very three-dimensionally. I mean, Jesus teaching, and if they're pulling the roof apart, something's falling down because gravity. So, you know, stuff's falling down. They're, they're ripping a hole in the roof. Stuff's falling down. I can imagine people looking up, what in the world? And they're hearing this, and all of a sudden they look up, and there's faces looking down, and there's a hole in the roof. And pretty soon, this, this pallet, this, this stretcher is let down. Now, let me tell you, when he came down, if the people were still close, you know what they did? They backed away because this bed's coming down. And it ends up laying right at the feet of Jesus. And I could see this guy. He was probably embarrassed. And he's looking up, laying there. You know, when I was in the hospital, that was one of the things that was really hard for me. I didn't lay down a lot because I felt stupid. So I made sure I sat up. I was always in a chair. Because when I was laying on a stretcher, I just felt helpless, weak, infirm. And we all know how things were when I was, and I wasn't submitting. So I wasn't weak, helpless, and infirm. I was in a chair. I did not wear those stupid little gowns. I wore my clothes, thank you very much, because I needed to do that to maintain a little sense of self-decorum, identity, and that was my little, little I'm not sick. I can imagine this guy just felt really, really weird. And Jesus is looking down at me and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Remember? And the religious leaders, they're thinking about what he's saying. They're saying, well, who in the world is this guy? Who can forgive sins but God? And he's certainly not God. And, and Jesus said, look, so that you may know that I have the power to deal with, and there's two issues here. One, there is the physical illness. When I got cancer, when we have problems, when we have heart issues and, and strokes and, and diseases and all colds. That is the result of sin, not our own personal sin. Like Tom Simcox was a, was, was, did something terrible, so God struck him down. It's just the fact that we're in a sin-cursed world. And we struggle with sin. The whole creation groans, okay? He said, so that you know that I have power to deal with a real cause. You know the real reason that we have all this is because when, when mankind rebelled, God said, in the day that you sin, you shall surely die. And as an Adam, all die. So Jesus said, so that you know that I have power to deal with your real issue, which is sin, I'm going to say, son, your sins are forgiven. Rise, take up your bed and walk. This, uh, coming, this month, actually April, is the 100th anniversary of a really major historical event. 
April 15, 1912, a major ship sank. We all know it. The unsinkable maiden voyage of the Titanic hits an iceberg, and in a few hours, it splits in half and sinks and has basically become one of the key the key finds, the thing people were interested in. I mean, I, I know I've always been fascinated when they found the ship and they were doing all this. I, just, I sat there just, just watching. I was just fascinated. I mean, this just always just intrigued me. Well, you know, icebergs are kind of like a little bit like sin in our, in, our, in our lives. You see, what do you know about icebergs? You know that two-thirds are where? Below the surface. One-third's above the surface. The one-third is what's visible. That's Sin, that's Tom getting cancer, that's disease, that's blindness, that's, that's you know, rheumatoid arthritis, that's heart problems. That's the physical manifestation of sin. The biggest problem is not what's above, it's what's below, the two-thirds below, which is our sin problem. So Jesus came to deal with the tip to show that he had power over the bottom. And that's what he was doing. And, and that was the plan. And as he did that, he was trying to get the people to understand who he was. I'm the Messiah. So he's coming to Jerusalem. They say Hosanna, but I don't know whether they really, really understood it. Then we're going to come in and we're going to see here the, the authority. Well, we're going to see how they responded. Look at verse 10. When he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. That's great. I, I would have been excited. The whole city's in a stir. And, and, and you know, Jesus is coming in and, and they're shouting Hosanna and they got their palm branches. And, and they said, who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Could I suggest to you that's the wrong answer? What they should have said was, this is Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is our Savior, our Lord, our King. Long live the King. That's what they should have said. But they didn't understand. You know the song, El Shaddai, through the years you made it clear that the time of Christ was near, but your people couldn't see. They wouldn't see what Messiah ought to be. It was pointed out I, it, just within the last day or so. They were, they were looking for a military deliverer. They wanted someone that was going to get rid of Rome. That's not what Jesus came to deal with. He came to deal with sin because that's mankind's biggest problem. And he's still dealing with that today. So they didn't understand who he was. This is the prophet from Nazareth. Really not the right answer. Well, then we pick up in 12 and we see the authority of the king. So he comes into the temple. Now, you know, the temple is a totally different situation than what we have here today when we come into God's house. The temple was the only place Jewish people could worship. That was it. They didn't have, I mean, they had synagogues where they went and studied, but the temple was everything. They worshiped there. The sacrifices were there. The priests were there. They had to come there. That was the central meeting place for all the Jewish people around the world was to go to the temple. And, and Jesus comes in. It says, Jesus went into the temple of God, and he drove out those who had bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables. Now, he's done this before, but you see, what was happening was the people were coming to celebrate the Passover. They were coming from all over the world, and, and they were bringing money with them, money from, from other places in the Roman Empire, and that money had like our money does. It had images on it. They maybe had a picture of Thomas Jefferson or George Washington, or you know, they bought some Ben Franklins, whatever, but they had images on their money. And they couldn't worship the Lord with money that had a graven image. To this very day, Israel has no images of any famous historians, famous people, leaders on their money. They don't do it because God said have no graven image. So they needed to change their money from Roman currency into temple currency. Nothing wrong with that. Well, if you go to the bank and you have euros, 
Don't you expect a fair exchange that they're going to give you in American money what the euros are? Or if you have yen, they're going to exchange it right. Or if you have Canadian money, that, that's what you expect. Now, they weren't doing that. They were making a profit on the exchange rate. And they were charging the people they were robbing from. People were also coming bringing sacrifices. They were coming to worship the Lord. They, they brought their own lamb. They brought their, their sacrifice to, 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 to give to the Lord for their sin. And, and the religious leaders are saying, no, sorry, that's not good enough. Yours doesn't work. But we're running a special over here. Three times the price. And then they'd take the one that was no good and then they'd sell it because there was really nothing wrong with it. God said, you have turned my house of prayer. And I also have to understand that the temple was segregated access to God. Let's assume that, that out in the narthex of the foyer there, that's the court of the Gentiles. That was as close as the Gentiles could get. Then you come in here, stopping at the, the communion table. That could be the court of the women. That was as close as a Jewish woman could get. From there, say, to, to, to here, that's the court of the men. That was as close as the men could get. And then beyond that, we'll use the, the, the table. That was inside, and that was as close as the priest could get, unless he went into the choir loft, which was where the ark would have been. That was as close as the high priest could get once a year. You had segregated access to God. The Gentiles couldn't get as close as the women. Women couldn't get as close as the men. Men couldn't get as close as the priest. The priest couldn't get as close as the high priest. You follow me? Well, these people were outselling and doing all this in the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles, the God-fearing Gentiles, couldn't even get in and worship the Lord. And he said, you've turned my father's house of prayer into a den of thieves, and he drives them out. Then he's going to debate with them. He says, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. Then were blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, the children crying, and they're saying, Hosanna, they say, do you hear what they're saying? We saw that in Luke. And he said, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants? You've perfected praise. And as he said in, in Luke, they didn't cry out the very rocks would. You see, he was here for a mission. He had authority over his house. He had authority over disease. Jesus was showing his credentials. He was showing his authority. They would ask him, by what authority do you do this? And that's what he was showing. Then we see, beginning in verse 15, the acclamation of the king. Look at verse 15. But when the chief priests and scribes heard this, and the praise was coming out. You see, that's what Jesus was looking for. He wasn't looking for praise because it stroked his ego. He wanted the people to know he was their king, he was their Messiah, he was their God. You know what? When we come and worship, we should praise the Lord with everything that we have. You know, we praise the Lord by singing. We praise the Lord by giving. We praise the Lord by reading and studying. But let me ask you a question. Is your heart and mind like fully focused on what's going on? Because I know sometimes we're humans and we're thinking about other things, aren't we? You see, the Lord wants us when we come, he wants us to set everything aside and focus totally on him. In just a few moments, we're going we're gonna to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it was at that Passover that the Lord took the elements and instituted that Lord's Supper. And, and he said, you know, as often as you eat this and drink this, you're showing forth my death till I come. Obviously, that, that requires our participation, but it also requires our identification. We have to identify with, with what Christ is doing, and he wanted us to, to, to fully kind of enter in. You know, it should have been me. When Jesus died, it should have been me. I should have been on that cross. I'm the one who sinned, not him. Pilate said he was not guilty. 
Tom Simcox was clearly guilty. And Jesus took my place. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteous of God. As, as Jesus is arriving, as he's showing his authority, he, the, the acclaim was coming, and it was pointed out so well this morning. You see, at this point, everything's great, but in a less than a week, he didn't do what they expected. He didn't do it the way they wanted it done. And then the religious leaders stacked the deck against him. And on that, I believe it was Friday, be Thursday, whatever day you want it to be. <laughs> the crowd said, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. That was amazing. You know why? They had no, because they were upset. They were mad because he didn't perform the way he wanted. Do you know why Judas betrayed him? Because Judas was trying to tip his hand to force him to become the military deliverer. If you even go after his resurrection, when he's in the book of Acts, what do they say to him? Will you now restore the kingdom? You see, it was all about the kingdom. They missed the aspect of sin. And that's why Jesus came. Today was a really important day in the life and in the ministry of Jesus because all this had been building to his coming to Jerusalem. The king comes. The king's coming to you. And he wanted to see if they're ready. You know what? Someday the king's going to come again, isn't he? He's coming back. Jewish people don't understand that. They're still looking for him the first time. But you know what? We're here, and we know Jesus has been here. And we know he's coming again. Remember when he ascended? I know I'm a week ahead, but that's okay. This same Jesus, which you see, is going to come again in like manner. The king is going to come again. And you know what? He wants to know that we're ready. He wants us to be ready. You know what he says? I want you to occupy till I come. He says, I want you to be about your father's business. I want you to be involved. And, you know, when, the, when you're working and the boss goes away, that's not the time you sit down, goof off, get on the Internet, you know, start sleeping, get on the cell phone. No, you're supposed to work. You're supposed to keep busy because you were employed to do so. You know what? The moment we were saved, my friends, we now work for the Most High God. Not just pastor, not just the missionaries, everyone who's here, your upline you work for the Most High God. You've been bought with a price. You've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. And you've been totally belong to Him. And that's who you work for. Now, I don't know whether you work for, like, you know, the gas company or you're a postal employer or Walmart or you're a homemaker or pastor or missionary or, you know, you could be an Indian chief. I don't, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, the bottom line is you work for the Most High God. And someday, the boss is going to come back. And he's going to come back and he's going to say, did I find you faithful? It's not just enough to give him acclamation. You know the kind of acclamation that he really wants? He wants us to be busy about our father's business. Words are good. Actions are better. Would you rather your children tell you they love you or show you they love you? We need to show him. And you see, he wants us to be busy. So we're going we're gonna to enjoy the, the Lord's Supper in just a moment. I kind of want you to think about it from that vantage point that, that Jesus in the upper room, he was calling disciples and he's saying, do this in remembrance of me. And by doing that, we're identifying with him and we're saying, you know what? I'm going to occupy, I'm going to serve you until you return. No holding back. No timeouts. No retirement. No quitting. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. 
Father, I thank you for today, for the fact that we are able to, to look back and we're able to celebrate and remember your king, your coming as a king of kings and Lord of lords, as, as the king of Israel, as we've just sung. And Father, I thank you that, that we're able to look at it and we're able to see what the Jewish people didn't. While they were shouting Hosanna, they really didn't understand. They're looking for a military deliverer. They missed the sin. They missed the need for spiritual salvation and deliverance. Father, we as your church, we have not missed that. We are fully cognizant of sin and what it cost Jesus, what it cost you to redeem us. And Father, I just pray that, that we who have been bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus, we would be worthy. That we would be worthy of, of, of the, the high calling of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says that we would walk worthy. And then he goes on and talks about the resurrection. Father, it's so, it's so difficult sometimes to, to be the kind of child you want us to be. But Father, you are so loving and kind and, and you forgive us. And as we enjoy together these elements and we remember back on your tremendous love, may we renew ourselves again. May we commit ourselves again to, to serving you with whatever it takes, no holding back. And may we just look forward to the day when you return and may we occupy until you come. And Father, we'll be careful to thank you as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.